Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. This morning's scripture is all of Matthew 28. (laughs) After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Look, there was a great earthquake, for an angel from the Lord came down from heaven. Coming to the stone, he rolled it away and sat on it. Now his face was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. The guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here because he's been raised from the dead, just as he said. Come, see the place where they laid him. Now hurry and go tell his disciples, he's been raised from the dead, going on ahead to you, going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. I've given the message to you. With great fear and excitement, they hurried away from the tomb and ran to tell his disciples. <laughs> Jesus met them and grabbed his feet. Jesus, wait, nope. But Jesus met them and <laughs> greeted them. They came and grabbed his feet and worshipped him. <laughs> Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers that I am going into Galilee. They will see me there. Now, as the women were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. They met with the elders and decided to give a large sum of money to the soldiers. They told him, say that Jesus' disciples came at night and stole his body while you were sleeping. And if the governor hears about this, we will take care of it with him so so you will have nothing to worry about. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were told, and this report is spread throughout all Judea to this very day. Now eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them, I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. May God bless our understanding of this word. Good morning, Urban Village Church. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you so much for joining me this morning to celebrate um, the impossible and um, to gather together and try to make sense of uh, what, what it all means in our lives. And so um, as we uh, delve into this story that feels um, impossible and yet uh, stirs something in us, let's uh, come together in a word of prayer. God, we give you thanks for the gift that it is to come together this morning and to um, stand in wonder and awe and maybe a little bit of fear and, um, and just take in this this story that you have gifted to us, this faith that is beyond our comprehension. So 
so that we might come um, out of this space and into the lives that we live with greater courage, greater hope, and greater trust that something bigger than us is at work and that we get to be part of it. Open our eyes and our ears to hear what it, and see what it is that you are doing within us, among us, and around us so that we can have the possibility of participating in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the 1960s, uh, there was a sociologist named Melvin Lerner who studied what is known as the just world hypothesis. The just world hypothesis is the assumption that a person's actions are inclined to bring morally fair and fitting consequences to that person, that good actions will eventually be rewarded and evil actions will eventually be punished. And so it shows up in phrases like, what goes around comes around. The chickens are coming home to roost or you reap what you sow. So Melvin Lerner was the first person to really kind of test this idea of the just world hypothesis. Uh, the primary question he actually was researching was why, in cases of violence, why do people tend to go after the victim instead of the perpetrator? Well, what he found was this just world hypothesis at work. Um, it helps us feel like the world is predictable and safe, like we have control over what happens to us. Since I'm a good person, Nothing bad will happen to me, and I'm safe. And if I believe this, the only way to make sense of why something bad happens to someone else is that, well, they must have deserved it somehow. So this gets weirdly and dangerously enmeshed in some strands of Christian thought. Uh, we focus on Bible verses about how God rewards the righteous and destroys the wicked. We're told that God shows favor to those who are faithful but holds back from those who are not. And of course, these are not the only scriptural reflections on moral justice, but it's, it's the ones that are like these that, that get more airtime, more attention than the other ones that maybe say something a little bit different, that balance it out. Well, one of the problems with this way of thinking, of course, that it, that it leaves people who have had bad things happen to them, folks who could actually use a little extra encouragement and comfort in a place of greater grief and pain. Not just that they were diagnosed with cancer or sexually assaulted or dragged off a plane. Not only all or any of those things, but the fact that those things happen to you prove that somehow you are morally inferior or maybe even downright deserving of what you got. You weren't complying with the rules. Your skirt was too short. Or as good old Franklin Graham put it, if you're stopped by the law enforcement, here's some advice. Follow their instructions. It's almost like his dad wasn't one of the most famous preachers in U.S. Christian history, and he never heard of a thing called Good Friday. Jesus, literally. Because Jesus is a case in point when it comes to the problem with the just world hypothesis. Bad things actually do happen to good people. If there was a poster child to be had for this, it would be our very own Lord and Savior. Good Friday and Holy Saturday were giant I-told-you-so moments for every person who tried to shush Jesus, ask him to tone it down, or talk some sense into him. He asked for it, the folk might be saying as they shook their heads. Jesus was the best of men. His followers, and really most people, knew it. Even Pilate, the Roman governor who signed off on Jesus' execution, had his doubts about the whole thing. So when the Marys roll up to his grave, as soon as the Sabbath had ended, they know that Jesus did not deserve what he got. But they were used to the short end of the stick. They were used to pain, and they were used to things not going their way. 
And that's what made Jesus so remarkable. He sparked something within them that they had trained themselves to call wishful thinking, childish fantasies, and naivete. Their cynicism had cracked under the weight of his love and the power of his actions. Maybe, maybe he's right, they began to think. Maybe there is another way. So maybe they're kind of kicking themselves on the inside for foolishly believing that anything could be different. But he gave it a shot, you know. Jesus gave his very best, and even if he died for it, he made everyone better for knowing him. His message had sparked hope for everyone living a crap life or even a trap life. It's just that the system was too big, too powerful, and it wasn't built for people like them. It probably took the Marys months, maybe even years, to really truly be convinced that Jesus was for real and that his message was legit, and only a couple of days before going back to that old way of thinking. But when they get to the tomb and this earthquake happens and they talk with the messenger from God who, based on the description, looks like a person with a strobe light for a head, they talk with this messenger and the guards are terrified, but the women are awestruck and they're rushed, in their rush to share the news. Who do they run to, into but the risen Christ himself? What? Right? <laughs> they grab his feet and scholars agree this is a little weird, but I think it's somehow really kind of endearing, right? And they worship him. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth isn't, you will not believe what I have been through, right? (laughs) Which would be very tempting for me. It's not, did you hear the strobe light angel? Go tell the disciples, right? The first words out of Jesus' mouth are, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know you've been afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid to tell the truth about what happened. Meanwhile, the soldiers who ran to tell the chief priest got their mouths stuffed with money and their minds filled with a new, a new story, a much more believable story, granted, and a much more convenient story in place of an inconvenient truth. His disciples, those people, they stole the body while we were asleep. Shut them up and shut it down. And I wonder what, what those guards told themselves to feel okay about what they did. I was just following orders. Or maybe they were just stuck, right? If I don't do it, I'll lose my job. And I need that paycheck. Regardless, they tried it. But why did they try it? Well, I think it's rooted in values. I recently read about how the more strongly you hold values like loyalty, obedience, and purity, they're called binding values. Values like, uh, versus values like care and fairness, which are called individual values. The stronger your binding values are, the more likely you are to protect the system, protect the tradition, and blame the victim. And all of this makes it sound like binding values are just terrible, right? We don't want any of those, but, well, here's my defense of binding values. Loyalty, obedience, and purity, when they're exercised positively, can bind us together. This is who we are. This is how we do. Just a couple of weeks ago, Rebecca Lewis became a member of UBC High Park Woodlawn, and she agreed to a set of commitments, right, binding values. And in just a few minutes, we'll be baptizing the marvelous May May, and during that time, I will ask this community to agree to help her know God's love as she grows up, binding values that bind us together. But of course, the problem with binding values is that while they can bind us together, if you exercise them without compassion, they can also bind us up. 
They can prevent us from living our fullest selves. And this is where those individual values come in, things like care and fairness, right? We have a person in the community who is deeply wounded and acts out in harmful or confusing ways. We might embrace our binding values to say, we don't tolerate that behavior. But also embrace those individual values to say, you can stay, but you need to change your behavior. If we have someone who says, hey, I'm not really sure if I feel like I'm a man. Maybe I have like the manly parts, but I'm not sure if who I am on the inside lines up with who I am on the outside. We can either choose binding values, a girl's a girl and a boy's a boy, or we can look toward individual values and say, wow, that must be really tricky to navigate in a gender binary world. This is a new concept for me. I have to think about it. I need to learn more. How do we people, be people of binding values and individual values? How do we be people of generosity and compassion as well as conviction and commitment? How do we embrace a more complex understanding of our values? This is what Jesus was trying to move his people toward. Throughout his life and ministry, Jesus loved his people and he loved his tradition. It had shaped him and nurtured him into being, and it broke his heart to see how sacred belonging had been exchanged for blind obedience. That there was no care or fairness, just rules without a soul. Laws and stewards of law that were more in service to the Roman Empire than to the God it proclaimed. And so he held up mirrors. Look who we've become. We can do better. We were created for more than this. But it's hard to face yourself, to face hard truths, especially if it costs too much pride, too much reputation, too much money, too much time. So you dig in and you shut out. And if you're so invested, if you're really in deep, you begin to feel like there's no turning back. So you, you start making decisions that maybe even you don't understand. You release a known criminal from crucifixion in favor of a person that you simply disagree with. And when it resurrects, you try to bury it again with a lie. The problem with the truth, though, is that it comes out eventually, regardless of how inconvenient it might be, somehow, some way. And so when Jesus appears to the disciples in Galilee, he gave them the same commandment he gave to the Marys. Tell the truth, regardless. Tell the truth about God's commitment to life. Tell the truth about God's vision that the way the world is is not the way the world has to be. Tell the truth that you can be human in an inhumane system. Tell the truth that there is a place for everybody. Tell the truth that the rules should help us flourish, not shut us up and shut us down. Go to the ends of the earth and tell the truth. Teach about what I did. Add more people to the movement. Baptize them and then teach them how to be truth tellers. That the world can be severe, but God is good. That cynicism and snark might be easy, but sincerity is what grants you joy. That courage costs and integrity pays. That vulnerability is not weakness, but a path toward real connection. Tell the truth that you can't do any of this if you aren't honest with yourself first. That you aren't perfect, and you're not always strong or smart or good, but that's okay. 
that facing inconvenient truths aren't a threat, but instead can be a doorway for living with greater authenticity and spiritual generosity. Teach each other courage. Construct communities that build spiritual muscle memory, like we talked about last week. Spread my message of truth so far and so wide that it is impossible to avoid. As the Jesuit priest Richard Rohr put it, Jesus did not come to change the mind of God about humanity. He came to change the mind of humanity about God. How many of us have been taught that we are horrible, untouchable, trash, and the only way God could ever love you was if, he, if someone was killed on your behalf? Jesus did not come to change the mind of God about humanity. He came to change the mind of humanity about God. Let's change people's minds about God. Let's be reminded again of the words Jesus spoke to the Marys and then to the disciples. Don't be afraid to speak the truth. Let's carry this moment forward for truth. That it's not about being perfect or right, but that it's about facing the truth and telling the truth. Let's tell the truth and set ourselves free and set each other free and see how good it feels to live life when we let the chains fall. Let us go forward in truth and live those lives that we were created and called to live and show this world what it means to be alive. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you showed us truth, that you showed us the way, that you showed us the truth, and that you have shown us the light. We pray, God, that as we maybe shake in fear that we might grab a hold of that legacy of truth-telling that those disciples faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully carried forward so that today we can gather and tell that story, that we can come together and in fear and hope and wonder and joy claim that truth for ourselves and claim that truth of wholeness of life for this world. Help us as we absorb this message and try to wrap our minds around the story of your son loving us and returning to us that we might be able to somehow make it our own and share it with everyone who's willing to hear. Help us to tell the truth wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.